Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 129 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's delve straight into the reviewing from last weekend. Um few places to visit but firstly let's start at the guild hall in preston lancashire united kingdom couple fights to mention on this bill um what do we have here what do we have here firstly i do want to give a little shout out here to jack catterall he moved to 20 and 0 he took on the very well-known journeyman kevin mccauley now kevin mccauley racked up his 164th loss here but the impressive thing about it was that catterall actually knocked mccauley out in the first round it was a body shot so um you know that's quite a statement there jack catterall stopping mccauley there mccauley's only been stopped 12 times in 164 losses so to do it in the first round there is quite impressive for me Um, once again Jack Catterall obviously he's a he's a Frank Warren prospect but he was fighting on an away promoters show kind of thing just like a keep busy fight Um, also on this bill we have Liam Conroy, 15 and 3 with one draw, took on Miles Shinquin. Miles Shinquin, 14 and 3, coming off that loss to Jake Ball on a next gen card. I think it was at the York Hall. I like Miles Shinquin, you know, he's he's a friend of the show, he's he's a good guy, but very, very unfortunate night for him. It was for the English light heavyweight title. Miles Shinquin got TKO'd in round two. What I will say is um I don't really like the referee's performance in that one. I think that quite clearly Liam Conroy hit Miles Shinquin in the back of the head several times prior to the stoppage. Like, literally, it was about, I'd probably say about six or more shots directly to the back of the head. The referee didn't call any of them, and literally a few seconds after that, the referee jumped in and, you know, waved it off. So, uh, a very bad performance in my eyes from the referee there. I know that Miles Shinquin was protesting, you know, what had gone on afterwards. He wanted to even go into the dressing room of Liam Conroy's just to point out that he's now um, developed some lumps on the back of his head from those rabbit punches. But Liam Conroy had apparently, um, quite quickly after the fight, had left the venue. So... Yeah, hard luck for Miles Shinquin once again. He seems to have been served up a little bit of hard luck lately, to be honest. Um, Very, very nice guy, like I say. I'd like to see him put some wins together and, you know, come back stronger because he's a good fighter. But like I say, he's gone through a bit of a rough patch. But that's really it for the Guildhall in Preston. Moving over now to the BT Convention Centre in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. Um, a couple of fights to mention on this bill. Lerone Richards, 10-0, moved 
to 11-0. He took on Chris Dutton, who was 4-3. and It was a six-round points decision for Lerone Richards. Also on that bill, uh, Michael Sirawatka, 19-1, put his WBA Continental Super Lightweight title on the line against Robbie Davies Jr. Robbie Davies Jr., this was obviously a rematch for him. Um, you know, in the first fight, Robbie Davies Jr. got knocked out. Um, and yeah, here, it, it was a return a return fight, like I say, and he certainly got the revenge, Robbie Davies Jr., so I'm very pleased for him. It was a TKO in the 12th and final round, but Sirawatka was down also in the 3rd and 4th rounds. Um, what I will say about Robbie Davies Jr., a lot of people don't know. Obviously, his father, his late father, was a former boxer, and you know he, he had very poor health. And what actually happened was he passed away just after the first Sirawatka fight. So Robbie Davies Jr. lost the fight. It was a 12th round TKO against him. And then three weeks later, I think he lost his father. And then this time around in the rematch, again, the same kind of thing happened because it went to 12 rounds. But he got the TKO in his favor in the 12th round. So the good thing is he racks up another win here. He avenges his sole defeat. He's now 16-1. and And he also picks up another WBA Continental Super Lightweight title. So he's got two of those now on the mantelpiece. Moving over now to the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales, though. I was I was there in the venue for this one. Just moving up the bill, we have um, we're going to start here with Joshua Boatsi, four and zero. He moved to five and zero. It was a points win over six rounds against Bartlomiej Grafka, who was twenty and twenty eight with three draws. Some nice rounds banked to there for Mister Boatsi. Morgan Jones, who was actually the home fighter, I suppose, but it was kind of weird because he was like the away fighter. What I mean by that is Morgan Jones is based in in Wales. He's a Welsh. Fighter, but he took on a guy called Mose Ulmagtagai. I think that's how it's said. And Ulmagtagai was actually coming over from New Zealand. He was heavily linked with the Duco Promotions team. And he had a record of 9-1 and one with two draws. I think he'd won a couple of titles in um, in New Zealand in the amateurs. He, he won like national titles and stuff like that. Well, anyway... Um, like I say, he took on the previously undefeated Morgan Jones. Morgan Jones was the much taller guy of the two, and he seemed to be the much slicker boxer, the much more skillful, um, more rounded boxer for me. And Morgan Jones actually won every second of every round. But what the crucial point of this fight was, was actually the last eight seconds of the final round. It was a six-round contest. Now, Mose Ulmagatagai, you've got to say, he was losing every single second of every round, and in that sixth and final round, he got put down early in that round, and he got up, and I thought the referee could have perhaps stopped the fight, but no. He marched on, and in the last eight seconds of the round, he was going to lose it on points massively, he actually scored a, a a shock, shock knockout, okay? He absolutely pummeled Morgan Jones and forced a stoppage by the referee. And to do that with eight seconds to go in a contest that he would have surely lost, um, the way I would have had that was, was 60 to 53, you know, because it would have been a 10-8 round that final round there when he got put down himself. What a comeback. Unbelievable. And he actually takes the O of Morgan Jones there. So a great, great win for Mose or Magta guy. He goes back to New Zealand with double-figure wins. 
Joe Caldina moved to 7-0. This one was for the vacant WBA international lightweight title. In the other corner, Hakeem Ben-Ali, 19-5. Obviously, as we said, it was a late replacement for Andy Townend. Um, it was a TKO, though, in the third round for Joe Caldina. So that's quite a statement there. Like I say, not many people knew about Hakeem Ben-Ali. All we did know is that he'd previously been stopped just the once previously. And it wasn't really to anybody known too well. So, yeah, Joe Caldina does well there to get a stoppage, a third round stoppage, like I say. Um, he's the new WBA international lightweight champion. Um, also on this bill, at the same weight, lightweight, Anthony Crawler, 32-6 and six with three draws, took on Edson Ramirez, 18-2 and two with one draw. Um, I actually thought Crawler would probably get the stoppage here because this guy, Ramirez, although he was Mexican, he didn't really have any names on his resume. I wasn't too sure how tough he was, but he did seem to be quite tough. But what I will say is Crawler had an awful, awful, huge cut and um, I was quite surprised that the you know that the, the referee didn't jump in or the doctor jump in and stop the fight because from from what I could see it was just out of control at times and it was quite gross and I still am not quite sure if it was caused by a by a punch or a head clash I wasn't I wasn't sure what had happened there obviously being there in the venue you, you you know you don't hear commentary and I didn't see the referee say anything so I wasn't quite sure what happened there um, Ayers, did you manage to see the cut that Anthony Crawler developed on his face? Yeah, I saw, I saw the cut. It was quite bad, to be honest. And I'm surprised he didn't get stopped. But Do you know if it was a head clash or a punch at all? I'm not really quite sure. I can't, I can't, I, I've actually forgotten myself. But yeah, he had a bit of a cut. I thought he was going to be stopped. But what, I was like, the ref carried on and he ended up winning the fight. Yeah, fair play to Anthony Crawler. We all, we all are big fans of him. Um, his record 33 and 6 now with three draws. Also on this bill, Josh Kelly 5 and 0 took on Carlos Molina 28 and 8 with two draws. Carlos Molina, obviously a former. 154 pounds world champion. This one was for the vacant WBA international welterweight title. Now, what I will say just before I go into this fight is that, uh, you know, Carlos Molina was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He was also on the show about a year ago. He's a really, really nice guy. And he said to me, you know, when you arrive in Cardiff, Joey, you know, let me know and, and we'll meet up or something. So, you know, I got into Cardiff on the Friday and I said to him, look, I'm here, but, you know, I know you've got a fight tomorrow night and I don't really want to, you know, kind of get in the way of that. And he was like, no, no, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And I brought him up a Box Hard Podcast t-shirt and um, I said, all right, well, I'll deliver it to your hotel then. So um, he was he was staying at the Holiday Inn in Cardiff and um, I said to him, okay, well, at the moment I'm just with my girlfriend and my daughter, so I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I'm not going to bring them, I'll drop them off and then I'll come and meet you. And he was like, no, 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 bring them, you know, bring them, it's completely fine. So I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, yeah, bring them. So, um, yeah, we ended up going to his hotel and we met two of his trainers as well. Um, I was I was waiting at the, the reception area of his hotel and he'd come down in the lift with his two trainers. First time I've ever met him in person, a lovely, lovely guy. In his hotel, they actually had like a restaurant, so we went and sat in the restaurant and we had dinner for two hours. Uh, it was about two and a half hours. So um, I really got to speak to him and, you know, 
got to talk about certain things, you know, kind of off the record and all that. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant thing, you know. He's he's obviously a former world champion, and not many people can say that they've done that. And, um, you know, it was it was just a brilliant experience. And his trainers as well, such knowledgeable guys. And we were just discussing boxing as a whole. And, you know, it was really interesting, man. But what I will say is that Carlos Molina, a night before a big, big fight here, and you know, not to not to not to knock him or anything, but he ordered a fish and chips, like a really big fish and chips, with a side of a pizza. You know, what I mean. So when he, to be honest, his fish and chips. You know, when 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 the chips did come, I traded him my sweet potato fries for his chips. So that was about the only healthy thing that he did have on the plate, if you want to call that. Uh, I know that's not too healthy, but yeah, that's all he really had on his plate. And I thought, you know, why is he eating all this mess kind of thing before a fight? But who am I to say anything? You know what I mean? He's He's been, you know, in this position many, many times. But yeah, um, great guy, a really great guy. And like I say, I'm a big Josh Kelly fan as well. But when you, you know, when you share an experience like that with somebody, you kind of want to root for them. So if I'm being honest... I really did want to see him do well in this fight, but I had to say, and I said it on last week's show, um, Iaz, and you know, none of that was gonna was gonna change how I felt that the fight was gonna play out. I said that I thought um, that that Kelly would probably win on points, and that is what happened. It was a tenth round. Um, 10th round unanimous decision for Josh Kelly. He became the new WBA international welterweight champion. So I got a point there for getting that one right. And you actually went with a Josh Kelly knockout eyes and so did the listeners. So I was feeling um, a little bit sad because of, you know, the fact that Carlos Molina took a loss, but I was feeling happy because I did get a win. I got a point towards my very lacking prediction league score. But um, yeah, this fight itself, if we break it down here, um, also, before the fight, they they actually told Carlos Molina on fight week that he couldn't wear the gloves that he wanted to wear. So, you know, that's a, another little kick in the nuts, if you like. But yeah, it was very very cagey opener. I thought that you know the the, the opening round I thought was it was very cagey. Kelly wasn't um, he wasn't respecting Molina's power straight away. I felt that Kelly wasn't respecting the power. He continued to keep his guard down. Josh Kelly was on the front foot for the first round, definitely. The second round, Molina was kind of getting closer, but you'd feel that he was still outworked. Molina was also on the front foot a lot and holding center of the ring in the second. But the third round, again, another cagey round for me. Nothing significant landed by either guy. But again, you couldn't score it a Molina round. You just couldn't. But round four, I felt that Kelly had his best round of the fight at that point you know he was he was too unpredictable he worked his angles well he moved around the ring gracefully and he was landing spiteful looking jabs that he was throwing kind of from his waist because he likes to keep that left hand low um you know to, to to do this though to a former world champion was a real statement at that point i felt from from josh kelly some people gave molina the fifth round um, he landed some good shots here and there, to be honest. He showed some good defensive moves also throughout the fight, um, Carlos Molina. But 
you know, he just seemed to be too slow a lot. You know, he's, he's obviously, he's not he's not a spring chicken anymore. He was quite slow in there against the very fresh Josh Kelly. And Molina arguably won round seven also. But Kelly dominated the fight in its entirety. And like I say, it was a great performance. And more importantly, he banked some very, very, very valuable rounds. And he would have learned more in those fights than he's probably learned in all of his other fights thus far. So, yeah, Josh Kelly, you know, he's so unorthodox. He's so hard to read, so unpredictable but I really think that the youth and his athleticism definitely played a huge part in this victory but I'm so pleased for him also on the other hand. Um, Ayaz, what did you make of Josh Kelly's performance? Obviously we all knew he was stepping up in class here you know, you went with a knockout, the listeners went with a knockout, but you know, he went points, but he looked good over the points against a a man of of Carlos Molina's status really Um, Yeah, uh, like I said a very good performance by Josh Kelly once again we know Josh Kelly He's going to be a star in the future. Um, well done for Carlos Molina coming into the UK, having a fight. I give him credit for that. But we all, like I said, Josh Kelly's a very talented fighter, and, we, uh, and I told you from the start he's going to win the fight. But I obviously I got it wrong. I thought he was going to knock him out. Yeah, like I say, I uh, I predicted that one right, so I gained the point there. Um, also on this bill, Ryan Burnett, eighteen and O, defended successfully his WBA Super World Bantamweight title against Jon Frez Parejo, twenty-one and two, with one draw going in. It was a mandatory defence. Um, firstly, this fight here, I wasn't that impressed with Ryan Burnett. If I'm if I'm completely honest, it seemed like the fight went on for so 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 long as well. I wasn't quite sure what round it was in because there was no ring card girls either, and you literally had to you know listen out for the MC saying you know seconds out round or whatever they say you know corners ten seconds <laughs> you know and then they'd say round whatever and it just sounded like the rounds were gonna go on you know it sounded like the rounds had gone on for ages I mean I was asking some of the other people ringside what round are we in and they were like do you know what I don't know it seems like it's gone 15 rounds this fight um you know most of the time I wasn't really even watching it I've got to be honest I was zoning out a little bit um I as I'm hoping that you paid better attention than me to be honest at home what did you make of Ryan Burnett's performance once again it's another Ryan Burnett performance we all know that um Ryan Burnett he doesn't really have much knockout power well, he is. He's the type of boxer. He punches and then clicks, uh, clinches. He hits them and then clinches. He hits them and clinches. But um, obviously, it's a mandatory defense. And we knew uh, Ryan Burnett was the favorite. And obviously, we know what Ryan Burnett's boxing style like. Like I said, uh, he jabs, uh, hits them and then clinches. Jab, hits him, clinches. Jab, hits him and clinches. And that's what Ryan Burnett does. Every fight, even when he fought Zanet Zakianov, he was hitting him, clinching him, hitting him, clinching him. But yeah... Um, Wonder where he goes from here because they they did say that there's a World Boxing Super Series, super a bantamweight, and he may be entered. But a fight I want to see now is him versus Zolani Tete. Yeah, I mean we're all calling out for that fight. Definitely, I'd definitely like to see that one. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I'm going to really say on 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 that fight there with Ryan Burnett. I mean, I'm happy that he defended his title and obviously he remains a champion. But yeah, I just I just I was kind of zoning out in that fight there. Um, a lot of people weren't even watching it because there was like a media room that we had, like in in you know in, in this part of the stadium where all the media could kind of go there. It was like a media retreat, and they were you know they were giving out free snacks, and there was all like loads of TVs inside, and a lot of the media were just drinking coffee and not even watching it to be honest. But yeah, um, a relatively easy win it would seem. Nineteen and oh now Ryan Burnett. 
Uh, moving up the bill once again, Alexander Povetkin, 33-1, put his WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title on the line and also the WBO International Heavyweight title was on the line. In the other corner, David Price, 22-4. and four. Um, yeah, Price was down, obviously, in round three and five. And also, Povetkin himself took a count in round three. But ultimately, the KO came in round five. And it was a devastating KO, wasn't it, Ayaz? Boy, oh, boy. Oh, yes. But let me say some credit to David Price, to be honest. Massive I, credit. I mean, obviously, David Price, we've seen him ups and downs. We've seen him lose to drug seats as a Tony Thompson and Erkan Tepper. Now, obviously, in my opinion... If you face a drug chain, the drug chain beats you. Personally, I think that that shouldn't be accounted. Now, with this fight, yeah, obviously we knew Povetkin was going to be a favourite going into the fight, and obviously we know David Price. Now, David Price was actually hitting him, and like, well, David Price was uh, jabbing him, and then um, like literally blocking everything. And then obviously in the third round, was it Povetkin uh, dropped uh, David Price, and then uh, in that same in the third round, and within this within the same within that same round, David Price wobbled him. Uh, well, obviously, we, we knew Povetkin was going to be a favourite. And then in the fifth round, the way Povetkin just um, hit him with a right hand and left hook here and then just knocked him out. Oh, it was a very bad knockout. Yeah, it really was. It was up there with one of the most brutal I've seen, um, especially live and especially in recent times. Um, just to revisit the Prediction League, as you went with... David Price to get knocked out in rounds four to six. Um, I couldn't believe that you got that right because not many people thought it would go that far, but it came in round five. And I went with rounds one to three. So did the listeners. Not many people thought it would actually go to the fifth round. But this, along with your correct prediction that Burnett would win on points, I went with Burnett on points as well. So I gained the points. So did you. That leveled you up with the listeners' eyes. You were on level scores. But your correct prediction with the Povetkin um, knockout and when it came against David Price actually puts you in the lead. So you're now in the lead and the listeners are one point behind you. The listeners got zero right out of four predictions which is I think the first time that that's ever happened I got two right in the entirety and so did you eyes um but yeah the fight itself I mean boy oh boy um credit to David Price like we said um you know we didn't really give him much of a chance, but the fight itself. Povetkin, I found, was going to the body a lot, literally. In the first and second rounds, he was really digging into the body. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't really feel like he needed to do that because I wasn't sure that Price was going to be able to last the distance anyway. But yeah, I think that the body shots coming in the first and second straight away, I kind of thought, why is he really going there? But then it seemed to make sense over the course of the fight. Um, there was a good couple of shots as well landed at the end of the first round for Price. I think he landed with a little combination that, you know, was quite eye-catching, but Povetkin was obviously busier. Price showed a decent defense as well early on. You know, he was he was getting his guard up and, you know, everything that Povetkin was throwing, those clubbing shots, both right and left hands, Price was kind of, you know, blocking them and stuff like that. So that was quite a nice defense from Price, who hasn't always had a great a great defense. But yeah, Price just seemed to be quite flat-footed at times, even though he kept moving his hands, he kept moving his guard to try and throw Povetkin out of his rhythm a little bit. He was being quite tricky, Price. Um... But yeah, Price, again, like I say, was down in the third round from a big, big, 
big, hard left hook, and he was caught coming in. And when he went down, he banged both of his gloves on the canvas like he was kind of frustrated with himself for being caught. So his head did seem to be quite clear at that point. And then, like I say, he got up from the canvas, and then Pavetkin ended up getting staggered with a left hook himself in the same round. He kind of got caught with with a left hook, and then, like I say, he you know he backpedaled backwards, and then you know, fell into the ropes and the referee gave a count there because in the referee's eyes, Pavetkin would have gone down, um, you know, should those ropes not have kept him up kind of thing. So good call there from the referee. Um, And when he was done counting, unfortunately for Price, the round ended, literally. As soon as the count ended, that was the end of the round. So, you know, Pavetkin went back to his corner and that one-minute break probably did him the world of good, to be honest. He was saved by the bell a little bit, but yeah. Um, Pavetkin, from that point, seemed to respect Price's power. I think that Price was was bringing it a little bit to Pavetkin in the fourth round and, you know, not much happened really, but I think Price was getting, you know, getting his confidence a little bit. And then in round five, boy, oh boy, Povetkin hit um, David Price with a right hand. It was it was a right hook that that knocked Price out, and he was out on his feet. He was completely unconscious. He didn't know where he was, and he dropped his guard. He was completely out, and at that point, he was completely open for a free shot, which Povetkin obliged and threw a huge, huge brutal left hook that wasn't necessary but it needed to be landed to put Price on the floor because although he was completely out he was still standing and that left hook as soon as he as soon as it landed not even that a a few seconds before that I knew that the fight was over because when he landed that right hand and his his guard completely dropped I thought oh my god let's you know let's look away and that was when he just went bang hit him with a left hook and that was it and he hit the canvas really really hard he bounced off the canvas with his head and the referee you know need not count it was completely completely finished at that point um price was down for a little while as well and he did eventually get up to his feet but um you know it's it's another brutal brutal knockout that david price has been on the end of um i don't want to rain down on david price and be a little bit kind of disrespectful here eyes but I'm kind of seeing a few similarities now between David Price and Amir Khan. I don't want David Price to become the Amir Khan of the heavyweight division. And what I mean by that is when he loses, he gets knocked out. And when he gets knocked out, he gets brutally, brutally knocked out. Can you see any kind of similarity there? The only thing is Amir Khan obviously... You know, he's got the world titles, and Amir Khan's got all the money. And I'm not sure David Price, if he was to retire, which I feel like he probably should have done a few fights ago, and I even more want to see him retire after after Saturday night. I just don't know if he's got enough money to, to, to carry on in life with just what he's earned in boxing. And I just don't want to see him carry on. He almost feels like he's becoming the Amir Khan of, of the heavyweight division just without the money or the titles. See, I'll, I'll disagree with you with that. I'll tell you what. The reason is because Amir Khan, like, he fought tough people, but he won fights. Now, David Price is an opposite. Like, I do I feel for him a lot, obviously, because he's been cheated twice. With me, with him, I think he has a huge confidence issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've we we, we went over that last week. I think he has got a, a huge think... confidence issue, and to fight in front of eighty thousand people, I thought was crazy. We were all kind of blaming his management team before the fight. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a good point you make there, eyes about who who has he beaten kind of thing. Amir Khan's got the wins, but but um, David Price hasn't. I mean, who would we say is David Price's best win? I mean, it's got to be Audley Harrison, hasn't it, back in 2012? I agree with you. I think it may be Audley Harrison with that. And I mean, no disrespect to Big Audley, but, you know, he, he didn't quite... He didn't quite make it as a pro, did he? So, um, yeah, I mean, boy, it's, it's 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 not looking good for Price. Is there anything you want to add to that one, Ayaz? And um, if not, I would like to ask you, do you believe that Price should hang the gloves up, in your honest opinion? Or should he drop down a level and try and fight at the British level? Or, you know, where do you want to I, see Price next? I personally think he shouldn't retire. I think he should just drop down to British level. I wouldn't go at world level. I'll give him a couple of more fights, see how he does. If he's two, two three fights left... I think he should give it a day. Obviously, his health at the end of the day is the main thing. Yeah, I think I think he risks his health every time he does step up. Um, just looking at his resume here, um, he won the British title against Sam Sexton back in 2012. And then he defended it successfully against Audley Harrison. And then he defended it successfully against Matt Skelton. So, yeah, perhaps he could drop back down to the British level and hopefully get one more defence of the British title to make that three defences in total, and he'll be able to get the you know the Lord Lonsdale belt for keeps. But yeah, other than that, I don't really think he's got much of a chance at European level. Um, saying that though, saying that though, the the EBU champion. Well, firstly, I'd, I'd, I've always liked the Derry Chisora versus Price fight, even though I think Chisora would probably beat Price. Um, I've always thought that's that's quite a decent fight, that. Um, but yeah, should that fight not come off, I think that Price against Ajit Kabayel, the guy that beat Derek Chisora, that could be a fight that I suppose could get made. But I just don't know how many people are you know, very confident with Price now or would pay to watch him fight, because I, I, I certainly wouldn't. I mean, it was a bit of a sprinkle to the card, really, just having him on purely for his name, or more so to see Povetkin, because Povetkin, obviously, you know, he hasn't fought in in the UK as a pro or anything. So to watch him was was really what I was there for. I mean, not not just for him, obviously, but that was the main attraction between the two guys in that particular fight. I wasn't really interested about David Price, you know. I, I didn't give him a chance, like I say, but. Yeah, I feel for him, definitely. Lovely, lovely, lovely guy, but, you know, being a lovely guy, like I've said many, many times, doesn't really, you know, amount to much in boxing. And now, the main event eyes for the IBO, IBF, WBO and WBA heavyweight titles combined. Obviously, a unification fight here. In one corner, Anthony Joshua, 20-0 and 0 with 20 knockouts. In the other corner, Joseph Parker from New Zealand, obviously boasting a record of 24-0. and 0. I did say that one thing would happen for the first time. Either Joseph Parker would go down for the first time in his life in a boxing ring, or Anthony Joshua would go the distance for the first time in his pro career. And obviously the latter occurred. Um, It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favour of Anthony Joshua. He now holds all the belts that he previously held, along with Joseph Parker's WBO title now. Um, One judge scored it 11 rounds to 1 in favour of Joshua, obviously, and two judges scored it 10 rounds to 2 in favour of Anthony Joshua. Um, Firstly, Ayaz, how did you see this fight just before we 
Um, I think there may be one fight to mention after this, but yeah, just before you wrap up the main part. Um, to be honest, it failed as expectation in my opinion. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to blame the referee. Every single time Joseph Park was hitting him, referee's cut was getting in the middle, blocking it, getting in the middle, getting rid of it. And obviously, uh, this is the first time uh, Josh has gone 12 rounds, which in my opinion, I think he needed some of the rounds because obviously, all he keeps doing is knocking people out. Like obviously, if you... I know, in my opinion, at the moment, he's the... I personally think uh, he's the best heavyweight active fighter at the moment. But the thing that annoyed me was the referee because the referee, every single... Like I said, every single time was kept breaking it, 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 breaking it. And obviously, Josh, Joseph Parker did very, very good, obviously. Uh, he did uh, he did hit Anthony Joshua with some clean punches, but obviously we knew um, uh, obviously. But thing is, he didn't he couldn't win the rounds. So then again, Josh, uh, Joshua won the fight. Yeah, I thought the the first round was very very cagey. There wasn't much landed from either guy. It was kind of like a typical first round for a fight as big as what it was. You know, a, a heavyweight unification between two unbeaten champions, and both guys were being very cautious. It was it was one of those hard rounds to score. I think that Joshua was on the front foot, but Parker was throwing more. I think it was a very um, a very cagey second round. Also, I think that Joshua. Probably won the round, but not by much. But Parker definitely wasn't afraid to throw his right hand, but he seemed to be falling short most of the time, really. Um, Joshua would seem to be looking very relaxed in there. He was fainting a little bit and not working too much. All the movement and effort was from Parker, just moving around the ring and keeping the distance and stuff like that. Parker kept leaving his left arm down, though, and... um, I didn't really like that. He kept he kept having that that left arm down, you know, just begging for an overhand right. To be honest, and um, in the fourth, Joshua was getting very very close with that overhand right. Um, Parker definitely definitely scored the fifth round for me. Um, he caught Joshua with two really good overhand rights. That was really all what had happened, though. Very lackluster fight at that point. Not enough action at all. But Parker arguably stole the sixth round too, and. I don't know if if um, many people picked up on this, but from my seat, it looked like he seemed to rock Joshua at one point in that sixth. The seventh round was very, very tight. Not much happened at all. Joshua got told off by the referee for trying to land an uppercut on the break, which was a little bit naughty. The eighth round was another close round, but Parker, I think, landed a nice left hook in that round as well. Um, I think maybe Joshua might have landed an uppercut too. So one or two punches were really, you know, swaying a few rounds, to be honest. The ninth round I gave to Joseph Parker, and round 10 was close. Round 11, a great combination landed by AJ, followed by a good single shot in return from Parker. But that was another close round, though. And, um, you know, like I've said many, many times before, Parker, when he takes one, he fires right back every time. He's always done that throughout his career. He's not afraid to take one to land one kind of thing. And the 12th round, I think Joshua won that round. Not by much, but just on aggression, really. I did say that something would happen. Like I say, would AJ go to distance for the first time or would Parker end up on the deck? Um, AJ's finally done the 12 rounds, but yeah, he seemed to not really be able to hurt Joseph Parker at all. A lot of noise made in the venue for, you know, for wildly missed punches and blocked punches and stuff like that. But yeah, the fight wasn't for a fast pace though. So you'd have to say, even though AJ did the 12, it wasn't like he had to work too hard. But yeah, like I say, in the grand scheme of things, I gave Parker three rounds, like three clear rounds. And I gave Anthony Joshua about four 
clear rounds and the rest of them were like very very close to score so you'd have to kind of go with Joshua to win those I suppose but um yeah it, it's, it's a shame because the scorecards really didn't project how close the fight was not how good the fight was because the fight wasn't very good and it just goes to show as that um ironically now Anthony Joshua holds all of the belts that Tyson Fury vacated isn't that bizarre that's quite bizarre to be honest <laughs> yeah the only one of course that he hasn't got his hands on is the WBC which Tyson Fury never had to begin with but um yeah, literally, Tyson Fury, you know, he won the belts and then had, you know, he had to vacate some and be stripped of the others and one by one kind of thing. Um, Joshua's gone around clearing them all up, so credit to him. Um, in the post-fight press conference, though, there was a post-fight press conference that went on till about two in the morning. Parker came through with his team first. It was his, um, his, his media man, Craig, and his trainer, Kevin Barry, and also... Um, his his you know his promoter David Higgins they came through and held a short press conference. Joseph Park was very 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 gracious in defeat. I have to say, his attitude was just unbelievable. You know he he really earned some fans there, and they're already talking about him perhaps fighting in the UK again in in a few months' time. I'd certainly like to see him over here. I think him versus Dillian White's a great great fight by the way. Um, but yeah credit to Joseph Parker like I say and credit to Joshua as well he was quite funny in his post fight press conference also so yeah brilliant stuff that a Brit now holds all those belts in the heavyweight division it really means a lot of course to all the UK fight fans um yeah that's really it on that fight I has anything else to mention on that fight just before we move on to the final fight that's about it Okie dokie. And the final fight to mention just before we wrap up the reviewing. This one happened at the Marina Bay Sportsplex in Quincy, Massachusetts, USA. Um, one fight to mention on this bill. Friend of the show, Jason Quigley, moved to 14-0. and 0. It was a TKO in round six of a scheduled eight-round fight against Daniel Cruz. Um, Daniel Cruz was down twice in that sixth round where the TKO occurred. So a great win there for Jason Quigley. All the very best to him. And that's really it for the review. And just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the two-time WBA Continental Champion, Mr. Robbie Davies Jr. Robbie, welcome to the show. Hello, you're all right. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, my friend. So, Robbie, we last spoke in June of last year. Um, it was about a month before the first um, Mitchell Sirawatka fight, in which you lost, obviously, for the first time in your pro career. Um, it yep. was a TKO in the 12th and final round. Just briefly, could you just talk us through that fight for those that may not have seen it? Yeah, in the first time round, obviously, I didn't want to make a big thing about it, but I wasn't at my best going into the fight, but I thought I could still drag myself through it. And then obviously with 90 seconds to go, he hit me with a thunder of a left hook that could have knocked an horse out right on my chin and then forced, forced a stoppage because when I stood up in my corner through the towel and because no one knows you better than your corner and they knew I went in, in any state to continue. But um, when I went away from the fight, obviously... We knew I had an illness in the build-up to the fight, which messed me weight up and I was fighting with weight and things like that. And then my dad taken into hospital a couple of days 
before and then died a couple of days after. Obviously, that was mentally in the back of my mind and played a big part. Obviously, when my dad is such a big part of my boxing career and he's been there every single fight, amateur, professional, and then all of a sudden, he's not there. Um, but since then, everything that I took from that fight was more a lesson than a loss. Um, I've, I've built on it. I've worked on things. I've trained harder than I ever trained before. I got new strength and conditioning coaches to show me strength. I was able to match someone like Sarah Walker's because he was so strong. I just literally done everything and left no touch stone unturned so I could be the possible best version of myself. And on Saturday night, I proved it. Yeah, you absolutely did. Um just just rewinding a tiny bit, obviously you said there shortly after your loss, you know, you fell on some even worse luck. Um, you know, you, you lost your father. He was unwell for a little bit of time before he passed away. For those that may not know, Robbie, like you said just briefly there, your father wasn't just your father, but the bond ran deeper than the normal father-son relationship because for a long time he was your role model when you were growing up. He was a former boxer himself. Um, obviously, there's no good time for a death to occur, but you know how? just tell us, how difficult was that um, at that point? It couldn't have really come at a worse time, obviously, you know, just a few days after you'd lost. Yeah, at that time in my life, obviously, just going through my first loss and then to lose my father and all in the same week, it was becoming a, it's like an accumulation of everything that could be going wrong in my life was happening to me. But if anything, it's probably made me stronger now because I don't think that anything that can occur in the boxing world would would be worse than that for me. So I think I've took the worst as possible could come at me and now I'm basically ready for anything but at that time I was at one of the biggest lows in my life and thankfully to my team around me, my manager, my, my, my coaches and my friends and my family, they were all there to gee me back up and get me back on the horse and get me back to my best. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff to hear that. You know, it's uh, it's, it's such a tragic thing. It's it's ironic actually. It's it's quite um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a coincidence because Lee Selby lost his mum a couple of days before his fight, and he ended up boxing on the same bill as you, if I'm not mistaken. I actually remember that because yeah, I remember seeing Lee, and he was he was like looking out the windows and things like that. Obviously, I knew, but. Obviously, I just the experience maybe Lee's got I didn't have at the time. Yeah. And where Lee still went out and boxed two orders, and still performed and still got the win, I went out and my my game plan went out the window, and I went on out and had an absolute war. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, because I had I had an illness before, and like ten days out, I got an illness through my last bar. Um. When I when I was down in London where I could have just been resting, I had to do like all the camera stuff, little thirty seconds here and thirty seconds there for box office. But by doing that, I thought it was okay, and I convinced my manager and my coach. I was like, "No, I'm 100. percent I'm all right. I'm all right." And the the catch twenty two behind it, why my coach didn't want to pull me out, was because his daughter's wedding was on the same day as my fight, but he chose to come with me because he knew how much it meant as a team that I needed them there and I couldn't have anyone else in my corner. 
and he thought if he just said to me, pull out, that I would, he was saying it so he could go to the wedding. So maybe I might have thought of that, but so because I'd like her saying, no, I'm all right, I'm all right to fight. He didn't want to say, listen, you're not all right, don't fight, because he'd have thought I was thinking he's only saying that so he can go to the wedding. So then we all went and went, went ahead with the fight, and obviously when it got to like round three, four, my body started hyperventilating and sweating really bad, and then I had no feet underneath me, and I had to just stand and trade with someone who was an absolute banger and was like, he was built like a battleship. He must have been a stone heavier than me on the night. And then the rest was history. Yeah, the rest the rest was history. Let's leave it in the history books. Um I feel like yeah, no. I, feel, I feel like twenty eighteen is you know, is is set to be a big year for you and you know, a year that you must turn your luck around. I'm sure that you'd agree with that. You went straight back in with Sirawatka. Um, you know, remarkably the fight ended once again with a 12th round TKO, but this time it was in your favour. You emerged victorious. You also had Sirawatka down in rounds three and four also. Please just walk us through that win, and also congratulations on, on avenging your, your sole defeat in that fashion. That really speaks volumes. Yeah, because like I said, like I'm going on about me illness and what was going on in the back of my mind. In boxing, everyone has an excuse when they lose. It's just the way it is, and I didn't go on about it as much because I was thinking I'll go on about it when I've proved it. Like now that I could say to them, listen, I told you this went right. And that's why I hit, even though it was a hard fight, I probably won every round and I was putting them down every time I landed. So when I was landing in the first fight, there was nothing in my shots. It's like I was punching with my hands open because I was that tired. Like I wasn't even my fists weighing clenching. When it came through to this fight, even from like the first two rounds and I was I just had that distance on him and I was doing as I please and I was bobbing and weaving and I, I felt great in there. And that was what I was missing in the first fight. Even in the corner when I was coming back to my corner, you could see how confident my team were in me and just telling me little things. I felt like in the first fight, like it affected all of us, the whole morale in the whole team, everyone no one was a hundred percent confident in me because they knew what was going on. In before the fight and Jordan, um, and obviously I, I proved proved a lot to everyone. Um, if there was any doubters, I proved to all them as well that I'm still on a on a mission for that world title. Absolutely, absolutely. I must ask you though, did you yourself have any doubts in the back of your mind about the rematch? Because we've seen it time and time again in boxing where people have taken an immediate rematch, and it can either be the best thing after you know, afterwards if you win, or really the worst thing if you was to lose. Because many times, like I say, we've seen people lose the rematch, and it can really scar them. I mean, the one scouser that jumps to mind, David Price with Tony Thompson, that went horribly wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the reason the reason I, I looked at it like that, because my manager did have other things, and other avenues, and bigger money fights. I could have, could have made triple what I made for this fight, in, in fighting other people and things like that. But I knew myself, I thought, the worst version of myself, he beat me with 90 seconds to go and I nearly scraped through the battle. Um, so when I'm 100%, there's no way he can beat me. And that's what I've done. I just proved it on the night. Excellent, man, excellent. Now, for a long, long time, you've been heavily linked with the O'Hara-Davies fight, not just because you 
you know, you both have got the same surname, but also because you're both in the same weight class, you're both at similar stages in your respective careers. But in the past, you've been very, you know, dismissive of O'Hara. You didn't really want anything to do with him. Not that you were, you know, trying to avoid him by any stretch of anyone's imagination, but you just didn't want to give him the time of day. It would appear, though, that recently you've, you've, you know, you've somewhat been interested in him. You've you've had a few back and forth um, things on Twitter, including today, Robbie. Is that fight, you know, in the horizons for you? We've told them and we've told Frank, listen, if you want to get the offer on the table, you're the big promotional company. We're game. Well, I'll blitz him, no problem. But they, they, they're they not up for it. That's, that's all talk. Mm-hmm. And where O'Hara is now, he's, he's in no world rankings. He's fell off the wagon. His fight three weeks out. It's not even announced who he's fighting, so he's going to be fighting a no one. Basically, someone that's not ranked, probably lost a load and probably had four weeks training to take the fight. So the way I see it is because O'Hara's now with Frank Warren, who's got a lot of light welterweights, and he's not the top dog anymore. When he was with Matchroom, they only had one light welterweight. He was shouting his mouth off and they were putting all the money into him. He's lost that now. So there's no way Frank Warren is going to pay the money I deserve for him to fight me because... He doesn't sell a ticket, and he's a he's he's not the top boy in their stable now. So what Frank is going to do is put him in with their own fighters, and if he wins, he'll emerge as the top boy. But if he loses, then it's still one of their fighters that win. So either way, they're not losing out. So they're not going to pay all kinds of money to fight me, because if we fight him in London, it wouldn't sell. So if he fights me, we've got to do it in Liverpool anyway, because I sell and I'm good with tickets. So he, he, there's nothing to gain for me by fighting him unless they give me a big payday, because he's he's nowhere in I'm in the world rankings I'm higher than him, and in the British rankings I'm higher than him. So he's got nothing to offer to me. So the only thing they can offer me is money, and if they don't offer me, he's a backward step. That's the reality of it. And you say there that you know Frank Warren's got a couple of other. Um, light welterweights. One one he does have is is obviously Jack Catterall. It's looking like that fight would would be quite easy to make between O'Hara Davies yep. and Jack Catterall. Would but you Jack, favour Jack in that? Well, 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 what Jack's doing? Jack's looking at O'Hara as a backward step as well because if Jack's looking at the winner of Hooker or Teddy Flanagan, why would he want to fight O'Hara Davies unless he's getting he's in the same boat? Why would he want to fight O'Hara unless he's getting a payday? when his next fight could be for the world title, for the WBO. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? O'Hara's, O'Hara's in no man's land. He's got nothing to offer to anyone. He's, I don't even think he's got his belt anymore. I think it, that's probably ran out because he hasn't defended it in time. So just he's got nothing to offer anyone apart from shouting his mouth off. So eventually he's going to have to fight like someone on the British scene who's uh, just so it sells. Or because the other kid will be, he'll have to fight the other kid in their back garden. Someone who's doesn't need as much money because they're not on the world scene or the rankings on his eye, but the like a decent name. And O'Hara will feel like he's taking a backward step, and he'll probably complain and things like that. But he, he's got no other options. I just he, he thinks he's this superstar, but he's not. He's got nothing to offer to any of the top boys. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um... Robbie, when are you next out? Do you have any idea yet? I know it's only a couple of days after your fight, but yeah. No, literally, like, we, we, we wait for no one. I'm, I'm looking to be out June, July, no problem. I'm going to have a couple of weeks off, probably take the rest of April off, 
even to, I'm, I'm not even messing up. I've trained two, three times since the fight. I don't work me. I'm lucky. So if I'm not in the gym, I've got nothing else to do. So all I'm going to do is just stick to my physios and keep a bit of cardio going. And then by the end of the month, I'll be back in the gym probably full time. For waiting for the date. Excellent, excellent. Now, the guy that you just defeated, Tiro Watker, I believe he was ranked seventh with the WBA. Um, now that you've beaten him, you know, you've took your title back, you'll be taking his ranking, I'd imagine. And obviously the 140, um, the, the 140 division right now, the, the doors were wide open for, for quite a while after Crawford vacated all the belts. The WBA champion is Kirill Relic. Have you seen much of him? If so, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I've seen a lot of Kirill Relic. I um, I'll beat him every day of the week. Um, Twice on Sundays. There's <laughs> just, it's just these um, this conditioning is terrible. He'll come out, he'll throw the sink at you for the first few rounds, and then he'll die out. And it's not like he has any other game plan. He does it every single fight, and he'll come out for the first three, four rounds, try and put it on you. His record suggests he's an absolute banger. But when you look at who he stopped, they were all kids that had like won ten, lost ten, been knocked out eight times. Once he got up to that midi, even that intermediate level, where he was fighting for belts and that, he stopped. He wasn't stopping anyone then. And then when he got up to world level, to I don't think. Well, he hasn't even. He hasn't even made anyone flinch at the world level. Once he's been, he lost to Burns. Then he lost to who else did he lose to? Oh, he lost to Barthelmy in the first one, and then he's beat him in the second one. And all he done in the second one was just completely outwork him. Uh, me personally, I just think Barthelmy went old overnight. He just didn't have the engine he had in the first fight. He just started throwing shots and he was slapping. And I think if I got the fight with Kirill, I'd beat him, possibly stop him. So Kirill Relic avenged his defeat. You avenged your defeat. Talking of avenging defeats, in two days' time, our countryman James DeGale fights in America against Caleb Truax in an attempt to win back his IVF super middleweight world title that he lost to Truax in December. Um, do you reckon he can do that one, Robbie? I think it really depends if you saw the first fight. Uh, well, I did see the first fight, and it looked a bit... It looked like Truax was really on him for that one, and looked... But when you hear like that he had injuries and things like that and he was only coming back from them too soon and you probably think did he take his foot off the gas a little bit because he was at the time he was probably the most well known super middleweight on the planet, like as if he was the best. Like he was probably looking at whoever wins the super series is probably gonna fight James DeGale because he was the biggest name. I think he possibly took his foot off the gas, come back from an injury too early. I think this time round, like even when I follow him on social media, I've seen how much he's been training. I know he's only letting you see what he wants you to see, but I really feel like he's been on it for this one. And I think he's just going to do a number on trucks like what he should have done in the first one. We certainly hope so. And just before I let you go, Robbie, anything that you want to say at all to our listeners? Any thank yous that you want to give out to your team? Take it away, anything you like. No, just like, well, everyone knows how thankful I am for my team. Have you seen it after the fight? The emotion that ran between us was unbelievable when we were holding each other. I had tears in my eyes, the thought of everything we'd been through together. And then basically the fans are what's making me. I'm where I've got. I've never had a promotional back of me at all, ever. So if it wasn't for the fans and where the mouth, I wouldn't even be known. So I've got to thank them for that because without them, I'd be nowhere. And... 
I'm just doing my thing. I'll keep going and hopefully by the end of the year I'll be knocking on the door for big titles. Fingers crossed. Big shout out also, as always, to Neil Marsh. Um, all right, listen, Robbie, it's, it's always a pleasure, my friend. You know that. I'm sure that 2018 will be a great year for yeah. you. Keep your head held high, my friend. Congrats once again on your Thank win, you. and we'll catch up sometime <laughs> afterwards. Thanks, Joey. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, is the news part. Ayaz, bring us the latest news in the boxing world, please. The big news has come out is that the Gennady Golovkin versus Canelo Alvarez fight will not happen as Canelo has pulled out the fight. Yeah, obviously we know that Canelo has found um, one or two drug tests. I think it's actually two now. Um, you know, it's, it's all been a bit crazy because there was supposed to be a hearing on on uh, on April 10th and that would only leave like three weeks away from the fight, which isn't really fair if a fight's still going to go ahead. So... You know, it was all a bit bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm kind of surprised that he's pulled out. I don't really know why he pulled out. I think if Gennady Golovkin pulled out, then, um, then you know, he would have kind of been excused for that, really. But yeah, Canelo's pulled out. And then he's also saying that, that Golovkin's making excuses and, and he's scared, which just makes absolutely zero sense. But um, at this point, if anybody's, you know, actually believing that Canelo didn't take these performance enhancing drugs or this clenbuterol or whatever then I think that you you know you you really need to speak to somebody because it's quite clear that you know he did not want to fight Golovkin on fair terms at all did he because um he had stuff in his system and then now he's he's pulled out of the fight because I think it's all about to come on top of him but unfortunately the fight you know would have been a great fight and we've now lost that fight so um it's quite sad for boxing fans, really. But like I say, he's found a drug test, and that's the end of that. He shouldn't even be fighting, let alone, you know, in a fight of that magnitude. He shouldn't be fighting altogether, all, all to be honest. But, um, yeah, Golovkin's promoter, Tom Loeffler, has said that, you know, don't don't cancel your flights or your hotels or anything, because no matter what, Gennady Golovkin will still be fighting on May 5th. So there's been talks of perhaps Spike O'Sullivan jumping in there. But um, whoever they throw in, really and truly, if they throw in somebody dangerous, they're talking about people like Demetrius Andrade. That's a dangerous fight for Golovkin with only a couple of weeks to prepare for him. Um, Daniel Jacobs, he's obviously got a fight scheduled for the week before on one of Eddie Hearn's shows in America. That's obviously not going to get cancelled. Um, there's a few guys. There's, can you think of anyone else? I know they're trying to talk about a few other guys. Billy Joe Saunders as well. You know, he's currently injured, but he's got a fight coming up in June. All these people that they're trying to throw in there, um, th- there's all kind of reasons why they can't happen. I think they're even perhaps saying Jamal Charlo. He's got a fight scheduled um, in a couple of weeks' time. So the only one that can actually get there on the night will be Spike O'Sullivan. So that will probably happen. Um, I'm going to try and reach out to Spike. If that does happen, we'll definitely have to get him on the show. But yeah, he's um, he's very brave, Spike, because he signed some kind of contract to fight in September against Canelo. And um, that was whether or not Canelo won or lost the fight against Golovkin. So yeah, that was a big fight. And it looks like that's now not going to go ahead if Spike takes on um, Golovkin on May 5th. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe he's contractually... Um, you know, stuck in a in a deal with with Canelo, he may have to fight Canelo in September, regardless. So I'm not quite sure. But the only man that it seems is the fitting candidate. Um, if he's not, 
you know, stuck in a contract is Spike O'Sullivan. So I think that, you know, I'd be pleased for Spike, but I think that you definitely have to favour Golovkin. Nicola Adams uh, will fight on the undercard of Josh Warrington versus Lee Selby. Yeah, rightly so. The the golden girl, the double golden girl from from Leeds. Um, yeah, I thought she'd be on this undercard, you know, a hundred percent. And it's uh, you know it's brilliant. It's been confirmed. I'm a big fan of hers, so I'm looking forward to her getting out again. Um, even though she's only had a handful of fights, I do want to see her step it up, just like the likes of Katie Taylor has done, and you know, and the rest of them. So um, yeah, I really like watching her fight, and I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Manny Pacquiao will fight Lucas Matisse for the WBA welterweight title on July the 14th. Yeah, that fight is set to happen in Malaysia. Obviously, Lucas Matisse won the title last time out. Um, he didn't look his old self, though. He didn't really, um, you know, he didn't really look impressive, to be honest. Even though he did score a stoppage and a bit of a weird-looking stoppage in the end, he didn't look so great through the early part of the fight he was actually it looked like being outboxed by um by the asian fighter now he takes on another asian fighter but this time it's not just any asian it is manny pacquiao but manny pacquiao himself there's question marks of what he's got left um but yeah it's a great great fight it really is but it's quite a dangerous fight for both men so yeah i'm very very much looking forward to that one and um hopefully it's a great fight i really like both guys and finally, the IBF have mandated a fight between Dillian White versus Kubrat Pulev for the um, for the IBF mandatory position. Yeah, very, very good fight, this one. Um, I'd actually have to favour Kubrat Pulev in that one. Um, not that you can compare, you know, opponents and stuff like that and compare wins, because obviously the oldest saying in boxing is that styles make fights, but... Um, Kubrat Pulev's win over Derek Chisora was a much, 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 much more dominant win than Dillian White's win over Chisora. So if that's anything to go on, then you'd have to favour Kubrat Pulev. But just the fact that Pulev's got the amateur pedigree, just the fact that Pulev has got a brilliant, brilliant jab, um, I would certainly favour him big against Dillian White. But I'm really um, interested in that fight. And, you know, throw Povetkin in that mix as well if he's clean throw parker in there i'd like that a little minute you know a little miniature um you know super four out of those guys there the guys that even though they're you know they're not they're not short guys they're 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 tall guys compared to most of us but this is actually kind of like the small end in terms of height in the heavyweight division obviously um Pavetkin's not a tall guy joseph parker i think he's he's billed as six foot four he crazy enough is not considered to be a tall guy like your Deontay Wilders or your Anthony Joshua's and like I say throw in Dillian White and throw in um Kubrat Pulev I'd love to see a little four-way tournament there but um yeah brilliant brilliant fight hopefully it happens and um you know I truly believe Dillian White will fight anybody so yeah I think it probably will happen um, but yeah, the risk has to certainly match the reward. Um, Dillian White's got quite a lot going for him at the moment, so I'm sure he'll choose the right, you know, the right pathway to a world title. He's obviously got the uh, got the got the higher ranking with the WBC as well. So yeah, maybe the fight won't happen, but yeah, it will be a, it'll be a good fight if it does come off. And like I say, I think he'd fight anybody anyway. So credit to Dillian White. Yes, that's it for the news. 
Okie dokie, Ias. Thank you for that. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start at the Thistle Hotel in Heathrow, London, United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here. Another prospect under the Frank Warren banner gets out here. His name is Hamza Shiraz. He makes his third professional outing. He's in a four-rounder against an opponent that is yet to be announced. Moving over now to the Belasco Theatre in Los Angeles, California, USA. One fight to mention on this bill a uh, friend of the show and a prospect, undefeated prospect Hector Tanahara, he goes into this fight with a record of 12-0 and 0. he's in an 8-rounder against Hector Suarez, so the battle of the Hectors, Hector Suarez has a record of 12-5 and 5 with one draw um, all the very best to Hector Tanahara moving over now to Australia one or two fights to mention on this bill also um, Tim Tazu gets out on this bill his record 7-0 and yes he is the son of Kost Tazu um, he takes on Ruben Webster who's undefeated 8-0 that's a 6 rounder there very nice fight um, also on this bill Damian Hooper 13-1 and puts his WBO international light heavyweight title on the line against Reynold Quinlan we all know him very well his record 12-2 and so he's now moved up to light heavyweight after losing to the middleweight um, naturally middleweight anyway, Chris Eubank Jr. Um, and the main event over here, Dennis Hogan, 26-1 and with one draw, puts his WBO Intercontinental Super Welterweight title and his WBO Oriental Super Welterweight title on the line against our very own Jimmy Kilrain Kelly, 23-1. and All the very best to Jimmy Kelly. The only loss on his resume came to Liam Smith, so no... Um, no shame there. That one obviously over in Queensland, Australia at the Convention and Exhibition Centre in Brisbane. Moving over now to France. Unbelievably, we were talking about it a few weeks ago. Tony Yoka fouled a drugs test. I even think they were going to ban him for a year or two. Well, no, it seems like that's not happening. He's actually fighting. And this is seriously seriously wrong i can't believe he's being allowed near a ring his record three and oh he's in a 10 rounder against a guy called cyril leonette who is 13 and nine with three draws unbelievable it's going to be happening on france canal plus sport um i don't know what's going on i'd like to you know if anybody knows anything to please inform us because that just sounds you know, completely wrong, completely corrupt, to be honest. I don't think that Tony Yoka should be anywhere near a ring. Um, obviously, you know, he's he's been done for doping violations, for missing tests and stuff like that. So that's just absolutely wrong. Moving over now to Mexico. One fight to mention at the Hotel Azul Iztapa. Um, former world champion Johnny Gonzalez, 65-10 and 10 in his 76th professional fight against a guy called Marlin Cabrera, whose record is 24-1. and 1. This one's for the WBC Latino Super Featherweight title. All the very best to both men there. Moving over now to the Echo Hotel Convention Center in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, one fight to mention over here, friend of the show and former world champion Demarcus Corley. His record, 50 wins, 29 losses and one draw in his 81st professional contest. He's in a 12-rounder against an opponent yet to be announced. And moving over now to the final bill to mention, this one has also been picked up by Box Nation. But if you're in the States, then it's going to be on Showtime. A great, great card, this one, by the way. Um, starting with Sir. 
Sergio Mora, the Latin snake, 28 and 5, with two draws, former world champion. He takes on Alfredo Angulo. 24 and 6, that's an 8 rounder there. Also on this bill, Julian Williams, 24 and 1 with one draw. Um, I think this is his first fight since beating Ishe Smith in a little bit of a controversial contest. He's in a 10 rounder against Nathaniel Gallimore, who's 20 and 1 with one draw. That's a great fight there. Um, Caleb Truax, 29 and 3 with two draws, puts his IBF World Super Middleweight title on the line against James DeGale. This is, of course, the rematch. The first fight happened on December 9th in London, and the second fight set to happen here this Saturday in Las Vegas. James DeGale, 23 and 2 with one draw, looking to avenge that defeat to Caleb Truax. Ayers, how do you see the second fight playing out? We've gone to the predictions on this also. Um, I'm gonna I, I'm, this fight. I'm, I think we're gonna see a different thing. James Digger, obviously, the last the, the fight that we when James Digger fought in December against Caleb Truex in, his, in the first fight was obviously James Digger came back from a long, long injury, and obviously, if, if I was him, I, I would have I would have fought after the new year, and obviously when he's fighting, he was on the back rope. But this time, I think he, I think we're gonna see a new James Digger, and I think James Digger is gonna win by points because he has not uploaded a single video of him sparring. And I think, I think there's a new James Dillow coming. I think he's going to win by points. Well, um, James DeGale being a Brit, I certainly hope so. But also, Caleb Truax, I've become a really big fan of. He's been on the show twice since beating James DeGale. And, um, you know, we don't really speak to people twice after a fight. When I say that, I mean, like, usually we speak to somebody once in between fights, not twice. And I think he's probably the only person that we've done that with. So he's a nice, nice guy, Caleb Truax. Um, You've gone with DeGale on point. So have the listeners. Do you know what? This is a fight where I can actually see all four outcomes possibly happening. I can't rule out anything. Um, I think if Caleb Truax turns up and does the same kind of things that he did in the first fight and he you know he kind of makes it a bit of a war and a war where James DeGale's coming second best in I can see James DeGale's corner throwing the towel in and he will retire after the fight which he's pretty much said he even said it to me you know if he loses to Caleb Truax he's got to knock it on the head those were his words in an interview that we did a few weeks ago um one thing he also said, James DeGale, was that I think he was supposed to wait like 12 months after having the operation that he had on his arm um, before returning to a ring, something like that. And um, he came back after not many months and then, and then you know, he, he blamed that a little bit for, for why he couldn't throw the punches properly and stuff like that. And then um, this second fight round is only 10 months after the operation. So to fight twice when he's been told to, to have 12 months to fully recover, that seems a little bit crazy. But um, yeah, the first fight went absolutely wrong. Um, the second fight, like I say, Caleb Truax won on points the first time, so you certainly can't rule him out of winning on points the second time. Um, James DeGale, again, I can see him when he's on his best form. I can see him turning up and, um, you know, completely schooling Truax on points and winning on points. Or I can see DeGale turning up a much hungrier, much more focused and, you know, this time completely not overlooking Truax. I can imagine that version of DeGale turning up and possibly looking to make a statement and perhaps even stopping Truax. So I can really see all four outcomes as real big possibilities. But, um, do you know what? Just to play it safe, 
just to play it safe. You know what? In my heart of hearts, I think Truax is going to win the fight. But because I'm not quite sure if it's going to be by knockout or points, I don't want to, you know, be too risky here and, and, you know, be too, you know, I really care about the prediction league. So I'm going to play it safe and I'm just going to back with um, with Degau to win on points, which is what you've said and the listeners I have. So I'm just going to play it safe. But I actually think that Truex is going to probably win, but I just, I find it too hard to pick a method. So I'm just going to stick with what you, what you're, you know, what you've both gone with there yourself and the listeners, just so that no matter what, I can't lose a point on this one. Um, and the main event here, Eris Landy Lara, 25-2 and two with two draws, puts his WBA Super World Super Welterweight title on the line. And in the other corner, Jarrett Hurd, 21-0. and 0. He puts his IBF World Super Welterweight title on the line. And also, the IBO World Super Welterweight title is on the line as well. I'm not quite sure which boxer holds that. I don't think it's vacant. But anyway, three belts up for grabs here. Two are considered as proper world titles. Jarrett Hurd really impressed me last time out against Austin Trout, and he can really, really punch as well. Um, Eris Landy Lara, though, he's the longest reigning champion out of all the champions at Super Welterweight. I'm really expecting quite a good fight here. Eris Landy Lara gets knocked a lot because a lot of his fights are not very exciting, but I think that, um, you know, Jarrett Hurd's going to going to uh you know come forward and try and try and tee off and try and land big shots which is what he does he's very aggressive Jarrett Hurd so I can see this being quite an exciting fight I certainly hope so anyway and like I say the the James DeGaulle and Truex fight I'm hoping I mean it can't be more one-sided I don't I don't think it can't be more one-sided than the first fight so hopefully that's going to be quite a good fight there so hopefully it's going to be a great night of boxing on Saturday night but how do you see that one unfolding I as Eris Landy Lara and Jarrett heard another great unification um i think eris landy lara is going to win i think because eris landy lara is very slick i think he's got very good skills and i think he will win by points yeah that's what the listeners have gone with and also i'm going to agree with that as well so we're all agreeing this week um a lot of people though from america seem to think that heard will win this fight and you can't really blame him he hasn't really put a foot wrong to be honest Jarrett heard um, you know, he's certainly improving, improving and improving every fight. So all the very best to him and Eris Landy Lara. Hurd's just a much fresher man. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did pull it off, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, hopefully it's going to be a great, great fight. And um, hopefully it's going to be exciting anyway. Um, but yeah, that really wraps up the previewing. That is all of the talking done this week. So we've done the reviewing. We brought you the first guest. We brought you the latest news, or I has brought you the latest news. And we've just wrapped up the previewing. So the last thing to do just before we wrap up part two is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the unbeaten Commonwealth champion and the new British light heavyweight champion, Mr. Callum Johnson. Callum, welcome to the show. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, hey, I'm very good, my friend. I'm very good. So firstly, Callum, congratulations on the destructive win over Frank Buglioni on March 24th. Just walk us through that fight, please, Callum. Obviously, the fight only lasted 91 seconds. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, it was a good display. Um, I think I made a big statement, and I think I've excited a lot of British boxing fans. And I think I think there's a lot of people that's happy to see me back. Yeah, I mean, you certainly have. I, I agree with what you're saying there. Um, you know, I remember that the fight originally was set to take place last October, but you had to pull out of that fight um, originally due to health issues. Uh, there were rumours that you'd had some kind of heart problem 
Can you go into that at all, Callum? Why, you know, how yeah. that all is now? Is everything Basically, good? Basically, yeah, what, what happened there, I actually, I tore my chest. Um, I got a bad chest injury. And um, when I went for an X-ray, they put me on an ECG, and my ECGs was just um, showing, showing an abnormal ECG. So, obviously, they had to look into it to see if there was a problem or not, but there was no problems and everything was fine. Um, but obviously, once I got over the chest injury, I was back in the gym, um, back, back ready to get back in the ring, and ready to take that British and you know the fight itself like I say it was over um, you know if you blinked it was pretty much over um, when you analyse the fight a little bit I think I've heard from Frank Buglioni in a couple of interviews after the after the fight and he said that he seemed to catch you and almost kind of got caught while he was rushing in I didn't really see that I didn't really see him catch you um, did he catch you at yeah. all and if so did he hurt you at all to be honest with you, I didn't feel a, I didn't feel a thing when I was in there. Um, looking back on the tape, yeah, I got caught with one or two half shots, uh, nothing, nothing major. And there was, there was an egg clash in there as well, actually. But, I know, spotted the egg clash. Yeah. yeah, I didn't feel anything. Um, like I said, I just got down to business and, and did, did my stuff and let my shots go, and obviously. You know, I, I just did something that I knew I could do anyway, but, you know, I just went out and done it and proved it. And, you know, I know I'm capable of and That's the kind of stuff that I'm capable of if I'm firing more cylinders rather than got to saw. And that was obviously set to be Frank Buglioni's third successful defence of the title. He'd become the first man, if he'd have won, he'd become, he would have become the first man to successfully defend the British title against three unbeaten fighters. He was the favourite, you were the underdog. Did you feel any pressure going into that fight? And also, how did it yeah. feel? How did it feel from your point of view going in as an underdog? And for, if I'm not mistaken, the first time in your professional career and upsetting the odds? Um, to be honest with you, I, I didn't feel like I was the underdog because, you know, obviously, again, I really fancied that I could do a job on Frank. Um, but, you know, there, there was a lot, there was quite a lot of pressure on me, to be honest, because at the end of the day, you know, I'd been very inactive. Um, it was like a last chance to for me. It was it was now or never. And if, if I had lost the fight, you know, it would have been all over for me. I'd have had nowhere to go. I'm 32. You know, it would have probably been the end of the road for my boxing career. And, so there was a lot of pressure there, but you know, I knew I knew what I was capable of, and I knew I knew what was going to happen on the night. So that sort of took the pressure off a little bit because I was so confident in, in my own ability. Um, and, and you know, people reading too much into this inactivity. You know, I, yeah, I've been inactive in the ring, um, but I've been I've been very active in the gym, and I have just been very unlucky over the last year with injuries. Um, so I, I knew I knew my form would be there. I knew my fitness would be there. Um, luckily, I didn't really need to show any fitness because I got it done in the first round. But you know, I knew everything was going to be there and everything was going to be on point on the night. And oh, obviously, I proved I proved that. So you know, I, I sort of took the pressure off myself with my own confidence, to be honest. And talking of proving things, above everything, your late father had believed that you'd become a British champion one day. You were clearly hit with emotion right after the win. I know that you visited his grave a day or two after the win, accompanied by your Lord Lonsdale belt. I know it's hard to put it into words, but I'm pretty sure it feels amazing to be able to prove him right. Yeah. You know, it's brilliant. You know, my dad's always told me from being a young kid, you know, I was going to do great things in a boxing ring. Um, and when you're a young kid, you probably don't, you don't really listen too much. You don't, 
you don't really, you don't, I wouldn't say I don't believe it, but you don't really think too much about it. But, you know, everything I've done the I've been to do, I've gone and done it. Um, but, you know, it's took a lot of pressure off me, this has, because you know, when I buried, the day I buried my dad, you know, I promised him, you know, I told him I was burying him, I promised him I was going to go and win the boats for him. And, you know, I've, I've gone and won them now and I've took the pressure off myself. And now I can just relax and enjoy the rest of my career and, you know, everything else will be a bonus. Now it's, now it's time to enjoy it now. Yeah, it certainly is, but well done once again. Now, going into this fight, I remember, I think I interviewed Frank, I think before, you know, before the first scheduled fight in October, sometime before that, and I was analysing your professional resume, and obviously you were 16-0 and going into the fight. Twelve of your opponents, though, had losing records, so, you know, people can read into that what they will, but one opponent that I must say, you know, the Commonwealth title fight against Wilberforce Shehepo, the job you did on him was pretty special. I mean, you, you was able to stop him when the likes of Arthur Abraham had quite a close fight with him, and also Shehepo once upon a time took Isaac Chilemba's O, so for me, that was that was quite a special win on your resume going into the fight, but one fight that Frank Buglioni had been heavily with was the Anthony Yard fight. You've come along and ripped up those plans now. Do you have any desire yourself to fight Anthony Yard, or is it the Frank yeah. Buglioni? Is the yeah. Frank Buglioni rematch looking most likely, or do you not really know at the moment? To be honest, I don't really know what's going to be next. You know, I'm open for anything. Um, you know, I've got no particular person I want to fight or don't want to fight, um, unless, like you say, I'd love to fight for the European title. I don't know who the champion is, but I'd love to fight for the European title to add that to my collection. I think the, the rematch is way off with Frank because I don't think the um, the fight really warrants a rematch. It, it wasn't close. It wasn't controversial. You know, at the end of the day, it was just a one-round demolition. Um, so does, does, does it really warrant a rematch? I don't think so. I feel like I've got uh, bigger fish to fight now than Frank. And that, that, that's not disrespecting Frank. But I want I want to look forward now. I want to try and move up the world rankings and, and I say look at the European level. You know, I don't want to look back anymore. And I'm not young. I'm not young either. I'm 32, and it's not like I've got time on my side. I need to move on and try and get some big big fights. Yeah, as you say that you're 32 years of age, you've been a pro now just coming up in a couple of months, it'll be seven and a half years. I know that you've had a, you know, you've had a few issues in your pro career, your your career at some times has been a little bit static. So as you say, you want to kind of push on to, to, to bigger fights and stuff like that. Does that mean that you're not really looking at trying to win the British title outright? Do you see yourself moving on to something a bit Whoa. quicker? Again, again, it's, it's hard to say, really. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it down to Joe, my manager, and obviously Eddie. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you ask me, my ideal fight, my ideal next fight, I'd say I'd say the European title, that would be my ideal choice. Um, but whatever they come up with, you know, obviously I trust in my team. Come up with, I'll be happy to go with. But, you know, there's something I'm to move on and crack on and, try and earn a few quid as well, try and get a few decent fights working on a few quid because you know, at the end of the day we all we all need we all need a few quid and, and that's what we're in it for at the end of the day. Just coming down to the last few questions now, Callum. Um any idea yet roughly when you'll be out next at all? Um no, not really, but I have a um, the date June that June's been mentioned. Um so like I say I'm back in the gym now and I'll start sort of getting ready again and hopefully maybe be out in June, but I should have news pretty soon. I'd imagine. I'm just waiting on. I'm just waiting on some confirmation.
Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And also, some people may not remember, but once upon a time, you were actually managed by Prince Nassim. What was that like, Callum? Yeah, it was mad, really. It was good. It was, um, well, obviously, I watched Naz as a kid growing up, young teenager, and Naz, Naz was like my hero. Everyone, everybody wanted to be like Naz, didn't they? And, you know, to, to me, Naz was just like an honour and a pleasure and pretty surreal, but for him to actually be my manager and, and working alongside him and, you know, going around his house and, hanging out with him, you know, it was, it was pretty crazy, really, you know, but he said, obviously, it didn't work out for various different reasons, um, not really any reason of mine, or, or Nazis himself, it wasn't really our fault, to be honest, but that's some sort of boxing, that's where things go sometimes, but, you know, so he did, he did message me after the fight and wish me well, and, like I say, wish me well done, and, like I say, wish me all the best, so. Excellent, excellent. And finally, the, the last Two questions I, f- I think I've got for you here. What was your reaction to Anthony Joshua's win on the weekend? I'm sure you watched the fight. A lot of people being quite critical. Um, yeah, people will because, you know, he's knocked everybody out and everybody's expecting that knockout. And, you know, sometimes people expect too much. Uh, at the end of the day, he was in there with a good fighter. Joseph Parker, like say, proved he was good. He was better than I thought he was. And I say sometimes I think people just expect a little bit too much and, Anthony Joshua, what he's done is unbelievable. You know, he's, he's a star of boxing, not just British boxing. And, you know, I mean, he didn't really put a foot wrong, to be fair, did he? He did what he had to do and he got the win. And, and that's that's the main thing at the end of the day. And a rematch coming up this Saturday in the weight class just below you. James DeGaulle tries to challenge once again for his IBF world title, the one he lost last time out against Caleb Truax. Any opinion on that one at all? Um, I, I, I see James winning the fight. Um, I never actually watched the first fight, if I'm honest with you, but you know, it was obviously very surprising when he lost, and I don't know if he underestimated him or he, he, the, the ring rust actually got him, the time out of the ring sort of got to him, but I see James winning the fight on points. Um, I just think, obviously, James is a very skillful fighter, and I, I, I sometimes think, you know, sometimes we don't see the best of him, but I think if we see the best of him, I think he'll win his belt back. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And just before I let you go, Callum, anything that you want to say at all to our listeners or perhaps you want to give a thank you to, you know, your sponsors or anything, just anything you want to say, anything you want to get off your chest, take yeah. it away. Just thank, thanks to everybody that supported me with the World Wishes on Twitter. Obviously, my social media has gone crazy since Saturday, so I've had a lot of nice messages from a lot of different people. So thank, thanks, everyone for the nice messages and obviously a massive thanks to Joe Gallagher my trainer and manager for sticking by me and, get, and getting me this opportunity and believing in me through all the ups and downs and it was nice to be able to pay him back with that British bowl and you know as you saw on the night we were both very very happy about it so that big thanks to him and all my team as well Every, everybody that's helped me to be honest on the journey thank, thanks to them all Excellent. Well said, well said. For anybody that isn't already following Callum Johnson on Twitter, you can find him on there, at CallumTheOne. Right, listen, Callum, thank you for your time. Once again, congratulations on your brilliant, brilliant win, and we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure. Nice one. Thank you very much. 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 129 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the British and Commonwealth light heavyweight champion, Mr. Callum Johnson, and the two-time WBA continental champion, Mr. Robbie Davies Jr. Unintentionally, both of those fighters have had to dig deep psychologically outside of the ring in order to perform with recent knockout wins inside of the ring both men are certainly a credit to the sport of boxing the biggest thanks of all though goes out to the listeners for making this podcast the best podcast on the net remember if you do get a chance to leave us a review on itunes Iaz is now in the lead on the prediction league who'd have thought it he's on 33 points you the listeners are just one point behind with 32 and i'm way back with 26 points the t-shirt competition winner will be announced next week remember that you can still enter the competition quite simply by sending us in a tweet on twitter with your funniest boxers nickname we've already had quite a few good ones so keep those coming keep sending those in thank you for listening people enjoy your weekends and we'll see you next week